Yes, it's over six. All right. Hey, Story Show listeners. Jeremy Corey Green is here. Shane Kepke. Angie Zola Barker. And uh, we're here again sharing stories from our 2020, January 2020 Story Show Past the Plate. And we are to Jeff Zoller, Angie's brother. He's my brother. Big Maybe. brother? Younger yeah, brother? I was just going to say that. He ain't heavy. <laughs> <laughs> He's my brother. So Jeff's story is a clean plate cub. He hits all kinds of crazy areas. Like Jeff's first love is food, man. Like most of the people in my family. <laughs> um, and he tells like a cool hodgepodge of like all these different stories of his connection with food. But um, one of the things in there was yeah. that your mom, there was an expectation that your mom made your dad. <sighs> really good meals every night right she made him like steak and baked potatoes every night every night and then she would make another meal mm-hmm. just for the rest of you yeah weird that they're divorced it's <laughs> <laughs> funny how marriages work weird but the fact that she was willing to do that had to have been really uh, I mean it clearly left an imprint on Jeff but it had to have you as well mm-hmm. like the idea of Food being something that's not just an expectation, but also something that is flexible and and why you wait hand and foot on Josh? <laughs> I was like, you mean why I don't cook? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> is, that, is that one of the reasons? Part of it, yeah. Like, like you look back and say, oh my gosh, that's so complicated. Yeah, well, a little bit because like if my mom was sick or hurt or like gone, which she wasn't very often, mm-hmm. like I had to step in because I was the oldest and I'm sure there's some gender stuff mixed in there. But, um, so I cooked a lot as a kid and I, it was not fun. And now that I've gotten older, like honestly, the pandemic has sort of brought in some fun cooking stuff. Like Oz and I have been watching a lot of shows and YouTube videos and we're like, we're gonna learn how to cook during, well, what we thought was a month. <laughs> you married someone who's a really good cook, too. Yes, I'm he loves pasta it. for us. Like, he, you can tell he genuinely yeah. gets into it, which yeah. I, you know, we're no better. We just bought a pizza oven the other day that uses wood fired pellet grill. Like, you know, oh, pretty bougie. It's pretty bougie. <laughs> and, uh, but it was like one of those pandemic things where, like, We've kind of gotten in this rut of eating the same things over and over again because it's easy. We're and not then, going out. So and yeah. we're not, yeah, we're not eating out. So we justified the cost because we hadn't gone out X number of times. And now we make restaurant quality pizza at home. And it's not DiGiorno, baby. Yeah. And, Can I ask you guys a question? Mm-hmm. No. How, where, are you, where are you with uh, air fryers? Okay. Do you like them? I don't have one. You don't have one? No. We have a toaster oven that's also an air fryer. And so it... It does double duty. Like, I couldn't justify the counter space for having just... <laughs> an air fryer? A, an air fryer. So, have you done, like, the deep fried green beans in it yet? No, but that sounds good. Oh, man. That'd be the only reason I'd get one. Oh. I love I mean, Are they worth it? We think so, because it just makes everything a little crispier is all. Okay. And mm-hmm. it works for certain things, but I don't know. Part of us is like, if we want fried food, let's just go out and eat fried food for a night and then... Because I want, I want, I, I am really interested, but I'm, you know, hoping that it's just like the best French fries I could get no. out, just not as unhealthy. Not. That's no. not okay. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They're like in between what you'd get in the oven and what you'd get it in in a vat of grease. 
<laughs> so, the, oh, man. the thing with the air fryer now is because they've become so popular, you can actually buy food that's air fryer oh, like specific. I so see. there's actually oh. Orida fries have an air fryer version, and <laughs> onion rings are an air fryer version. So they're just a little bit crispier in the beginning. If I was going to buy any appliance to put on my counter, it would be a rice cooker. Oh my gosh, that's really smart. I know. I If I had to pick one food to eat for the rest of my life, be it nice. would be rice. Hmm. Hmm. I'm kind of obsessed. I would um, respectfully decline. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you can mix anything into rice and make it like a whole different meal. That's true. And it is pretty versatile. Like eggs. Eggs can go in lots of things mm-hmm. and... The eggs kind, are gross. Though. Eggs are the kind of <laughs> really. <laughs> I don't eat eggs ever. No, like you stir things like a cake. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so back to Jeff. Whoa. Oh yeah, how's, how's Jeff hey, with eggs? You know, what's, he loves eggs. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, he's into is, it. Jeff is one of a good example of a storyteller. I'm gonna rat him out a little bit here. Yeah, hopefully he's okay. With I know this. where you're going with this. But Jeff was a good example of a storyteller who comes in real nervous. And Jeff was running real hot when he came in for the rehearsal, where oh, we yeah. just asked people to test the mic. They don't have to read their whole story. And Jeff's like, nope, I'm going to read the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts, and I was trying, and you were trying, and his own sister was trying, and we were all like, "You're gonna, it's going to be great. You're going to get audience feedback. As soon as they laugh at that joke, they're going to be all over you. It's mm-hmm. going to boost your he confidence. He was so nervous. And, the, and he was so nervous. And even walking up to this podium, I was really nervous for him. And then two minutes into that, the story and sharing it with people, he came, like he relaxed into it. He came alive. The, the All the things that we promised would happen, happened. And it was just a good example of a lot of times what happens with our storytellers is he's, Jeff's more honest about those things externally where mm-hmm. he's going to name the thing that's happening. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of people internalize that that fear and I thought it was really brave of him to do it and a good example of I was surprised I was surprised that he was so nervous because I had just probably like six months prior to the show gotten to know Jeff and my initial take on him is this guy's doing stand-up comedy everywhere (laughs) (laughs) because when you're talking to him it's like you're talking to like he's doing a bit like he's just that funny Mm -hmm. and and not like I need to be the center of attention guy but just he is funny and his timing is good and he's self-deprecating like his humor is always seems to be geared that way and um so i was surprised that he was nervous but you're right he just hit his groove it was like he got the first laugh and then he was like oh all right let's do it yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. the story of every extroverted introvert in the yeah. world. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, though, right? yeah, like i can do this but yeah. it, I don't know that I want to, you know, I got to get me going and I'll be fine, right? That's fair. Well, I think that was the sweet spot of the story show, why I like it so much is because it's full of people who are really being vulnerable, who are being fed really good Mm -hmm. stuff from the crowd or the audience. They they genuinely want to be there and they genuinely want to listen to these stories and, you know, like in your case... Half of Jeff's family was there. <laughs> yeah. It was, a, well, it was a good crowd. The story show is great because, like, how many opportunities do we as an adult get to have, like, an audience and to get feedback in that way? I mean, Shane does every week because Shane but. An audience that's not interrupting you to one-up the story, right? Because yeah. we all have those friends or we do that as friends with each other. Oh, my gosh. That reminds me of the time I did XYZ. You don't get that as a story show. You have to tell your story and you have to listen to their their their. Yeah. The way they work through that. My oh. brother-in-law calls those people toppers. 
Oh, he's a topper. <laughs> he's topper, got it. going to have a better story, yep. better, better version. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Well, my brother always does have better stories than me, so. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I mean, it's just honestly funny. He's a funny guy, yeah. and I was really glad that he said yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm lucky. He's been fun my whole life, so. Cool. Well, let's, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the story again, so shall we? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Jeff Zoller with Clean Plate Club. Zoller. <laughs> How do you make a Jeff Zoller? You start with loyalty. Then you need to add just the right amount of comedic wit, blunt sarcasm, and charm to go with it. Too much of any one of these ingredients, and you end up with an obnoxious jester nincompoop. <laughs> but just the right amount, and you have a genuine friend. Someone who can be relied on to make you laugh at life, laugh at him, or laugh at yourself. When he has made up his mind on anything, he sticks by it. Whether it's his friends, his hometown of Albert Lee, or late 90s Dodge Ram pickup trucks. <laughs> Jeff is a lifer and that he will be a friend for life. This is Clean Plate Club by Jeff Solar. A few years ago, I had an employee come to me and ask, is it all right if I dip out a little early so I can run to Austin? I need to get my boy drumsticks for Christmas. In my head, I thought to myself, why does he need to go all the way to Austin? But I replied, sure. Then dead serious, I looked at him and I says, chicken or ice cream? <laughs> he, he gives me a funny look and he says, no, no, for like actual drums. Oh, is all I could say back. This is me and how I perceive the world. It's all about food. As a child, my mother would make two meals every evening. Absorb that. Two. My father was super fussy, so he got steak and potatoes every night while she cooked another separate meal for my two siblings and me to enjoy. I hated it. Which coincidentally made me an idiot at the time. But that's the only thing I knew. I'd go to school the next day and my classmates would be like, yeah, I had a cheeseburger from McDonald's. And I'd be like, that'd have been awesome. My mother made lasagna with three sides. <laughs> Sometimes she would make hot dishes, the worst as a kid. And now I think to myself, man, I'd kill someone for a hot dish. <laughs> My point in telling you this is my mother went through an awful lot of work to prepare two meals every night and we were somewhat encouraged to try and eat all the things. Today I can tell you that I loved that about my childhood as I was exposed to an incredible variety of food, most of which to this day I thoroughly enjoy. However, there was one incident and I feel bad for my mom because she loves this crap. <laughs> <laughs> She 
she makes a green bean casserole that I understand is fantastic. But I, as an eight-year-old, was not a fan. She was pretty determined that I was going to try that green bean casserole because she wanted to keep making it and she needed other people to enjoy it with her. I was not her target audience. <laughs> I despised it. It tasted bad, smelled bad. It was awful then, and it is awful today. <laughs> this particular night, I didn't want to eat that green bean casserole, and although I did try it, she didn't see that. So she doubled down on the idea of like, oh no, no, you're going to try it. So we got into a little spat about it, and being a good mom, she decided I was going to eat every bite on that plate. And although not a very often defiant child, I was that evening. So at about 7.50, 10 minutes before bed, I'm still at the dinner table, and I'm staring down at that cold, really, really awful green mushy stuff. And I ate every bite. I literally gagged my way through every ice-cold bite, and it was awful. In hindsight, Mom says, yeah, Jeff pretty much ate everything. I probably should let him slide on that one, but certainly not helpful that particular evening. Shortly after, she gave us a short hate list. We had three items that we could put on it that we did not have to eat. And I remember my sister and I sitting around debating, like, oh, are you going to put this on, or what are you going to do there? <laughs> Hoping that if we each picked three different things, we might end up with six things total that we didn't have to eat. And I told her, my sister, I don't care what you're doing. I'm putting that green bean casserole number one on my list. <laughs> and I will literally, to this day, Pass the plate every single time green bean casserole is on it. As an adult, I find myself in an amazing blended family with an amazing woman. She's here tonight. <laughs> Together we have six children, five boys and one girl, six nights a week, and now we get to feed them on their schedules. It is complicated to say the least. We have our daughter and the one son who are kind of medium about meat. They'll eat it, but usually only in hamburger form. And everything we cook is based around hamburger or chicken. And that's kind of a problem. Because of this, we always try and have salad fixings and, of course, like ramen noodles. Trying to find the balance of not pushing the children towards the clean plate club and how I was encouraged to eat everything in front of me growing up while simultaneously trying to make sure of like, hey, you need to try these things. It's challenging. I seriously have a son that tells me he doesn't like mashed potatoes. And I'm pretty sure that's telling me he needs an exorcism. <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm sorry. There's no conceivable way you don't like mashed potatoes. I don't get it. However, no matter what we're going to put in front of eight people, someone says, oh my God, this is awful. But if six, 
really honestly five of us are like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. Then majority rules, motion carries, and we're having it again next week. <laughs> to help expose them to different foods, we started a tradition of sorts. Wednesday nights is usually the one evening everyone is home. There's no school activities, dance, or any other things. This is the night we alternate each kid getting to pick anything he or she wants, and that's what we prepare for dinner. The menu is limited to a certain extent, as the oldest was like, perfect, I want crab legs. And I was like, no, no, we're not doing that, but like, tuna helper? It's, it's actually been a lot of fun to have the kids help prepare and think it through, because um, it has to be an actual meal and not just anything we pulled out of the freezer to warm up. I save that for every other night of the week. <laughs> They've had to eat some things they probably wouldn't normally have wanted to, but we always make sure there's one or two things they like, because I'm not fixing two meals. <laughs> <laughs> Food is important to everyone, though, and I, I love that it brings us together. It's the one thing that everyone has to stop what they're doing. We stop working in the middle of the day so we can eat. We get home and we're like, hey, family, how's your day? Yeah, you can see. I will, uh, I will literally plan my road trips around what I want to eat. And if you don't believe me, you can ask Tammy, my girlfriend, who's from Oklahoma. The first time I went back with her to her home state, I sat down, did a very quick Google search of all the Golden Corrals along the way. <laughs> yes, not the weather or the best route to take, the Golden Corrals. I found a couple, but lucky for us, I found one just one mile off the freeway in Kansas. This is how I literally plan my trips. If I want to eat in Kansas, what time do I need to leave so that we're hitting the buffet at the right time? <laughs> this is how everyone should do travel math. Now, road tripping with six kids, ages six to 17, that I don't recommend. <laughs> Also, I realized buffet prices for eight people are actually pretty spendy. <laughs> Speaking of the Golden Corral, does anyone in the crowd remember Phillies? Yeah. Yeah? All right, all right. For those that don't, it was a restaurant here in Albert Lee. They tore it down about 15 years ago or somewhere in there. But as a child, we would go to Phillies. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but they had an original Philly sandwich on the menu. Mm. You may not remember it. But I'm sure you're all thinking, sure, it's peppers and onions and steak and cheese on a bun. And well, you would be wrong. <laughs> Their original Philly was steak and cheese, lettuce, and tomato on a bun. And it was an amazing sandwich. For me, that was the original Philly sandwich, as that's what it was called on the menu. I find myself years later at a different eating establishment, and Philly sandwiches on the menu. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? I want one of them. Man. It's a great sandwich. I love that thing. And I order it, and it comes, and I'm like, what's with all the onions and peppers on this sandwich? <laughs> and I mean, I ate it, which, by the way, also a really great sandwich. But now I'm just kind of like, I just sort of want lettuce and tomato instead of these onions and peppers. And then you put a little drizzle of ranch on top of it, and my God, you are welcome. Best sandwich you're going to eat. <laughs> It's 
good sandwich. <laughs> a few years ago, I went to Maine with three of my buddies, including one guy who is slightly timid. In fact, on the way there, we stopped to have buffalo burgers, and he didn't eat his because it was a little too pink. And I pointed out to him that we were actually sitting under a pink light. And I'm not sure why they had pink light bulbs in there. However, they did. And he was like, yeah, no, nah, I'm not eating it. Which was fine, so I got to eat his bison burger, and it was amazing, his loss. But that's a side story. We, we end up in Maine, and he was the only one brave enough to order an entire Maine lobster. And the waitress, she brings it, and she's like, do you know how to open this, or would you like help with it? He's like, yeah, 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 no, I'll, I'll take your help. And to watch my buddy's face is this petite little waitress. She was so pleasant. She was so nice. But she, she reaches over. She grabs his meal with her bare hands. She, right off the plate, she picks up this lobster. And she just breaks and... And she destroys this animal with her bare hands. She, she sets it back down, and this green stuff starts running all over his plate. And she says to him, oh, no, no, that, that's the best part. That's a delicacy. And you could watch him. He was so excited about his lobster. And as she's busting at a party, he just goes, <laughs> He looked as green as the plate did. He says, thanks, ma'am. He dabbled in a little tail meat and the stuff that wasn't in the green, but essentially we got to eat his lobster that night, too. <laughs> By the way, that green stuff's disgusting, though. <laughs> so that's me, the food guy. And if anyone would like to join me, I'll be at the 112 after the show. And it's kind of feeling like a clean plate club kind of night. Past the Plate Story Show is recorded live January 11th, 2020 at the Marion Ross Performing Arts Center in Albert Lee, Minnesota. The show was produced by Angie Zoller-Barker, Shane Kepke, and me, Jeremy Corey Greenis. To hear more stories, follow us on Facebook, subscribe to our podcast, or check out our webpage at thestoryshow.org.